Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. He's earned decades of Wall Street success. A lifelong student of the market who learned to navigate the world of finance with unshaking confidence. An underdog who achieved the American dream. Now the Fox Business host is sharing all his investing wisdom with you on Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Hi, this is Charles Payne, author of the new book, Unbreakable Investor. You know, what's really interesting about this book is it's a continuation of two other books that I've written more recently, Unstoppable Prosperity, which uh, sounds like uh, something that everybody would want to attain. But the road to unstoppable prosperity requires you to become an unbreakable investor. And what that requires is a number of things. And it's not just it's not just being able to look at income statements and balance sheets and stock valuations and those sort of things. While they're important, one of the things that I find and I have found in my career is that people will have to be motivated to do something long term. And typically that motivation uh, it revolves around not just helping themselves, but helping their families, helping their children, helping their parents. Uh, and, and sort of a legacy. I spent a lot of time in the book, and particularly in the beginning, focusing on legacy and inspiration. What's been my own personal legacy, uh, what I hope my legacy will be, and what my inspiration has been uh, from personal experiences to, to experiences that have uh, happened with my family, uh, to my community, my country. And certainly those things as a foundation are unstoppable. They're, they're just, you, you really need them, I think, more. If you're just saying, hey, I want to get rich quick, whether it's a stock market, whether it's cryptocurrency, whether it's a, a day at the track, uh, whether it's a day watching the uh, football game and hoping that the quarterback on the winning team doesn't slide uh, before going into the end zone just to run out the clock. Uh, you know, the, there's obviously a big groundswell of that kind of stuff going on right now, and I get it. Uh, but uh, there's also a new term going around these days. It's not a new term, but it's made a resurgence, and it's generational wealth. I hear it all the time. Generational wealth, generational wealth, generational wealth. And I like it. I mean, I love when, when these sort of things seep into the consciousness of Main Street. Remember, it wasn't that long ago when generational wealth was uh, understood to just be sort of the privilege of just a handful of Americans. But by the same token, what made America great in the first place was this notion that anyone can pull themselves up by the bootstrap and uh, start at the bottom and go through a life where they end up at on the top. You know, it's interesting. Um, years ago, Alex, uh, Alex de Tocqueville... Uh, came to America to study our prison system. I'm not sure how long he was supposed to be here, I think for a couple of months, but as it turns out, he stayed for about three years. And he wrote a book about America that really wasn't flattering. And one of the observations that he made as he went across this nation 
was the arrogance of people who thought who were born, you know, like servants or, or children of servants or coal miners or, you know, born in the lower stratus uh, of the economy and somehow thought that they or their children could actually make something of themselves, could actually move up in life. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they wrote this book and it's, it's, a, it's a well-known, famous book. And that part of it has always struck me as a very unique American trait. And for a long time, it has been fading uh, for a number of reasons, uh, but it has been fading. There's a current generation of young adults out there who believe they will be the first who didn't see an improvement in life, uh, which always always felt like a guarantee of the American promise that you would do just a little bit better than your parents who did a little bit better than their parents who did a little bit better than their parents. So again, I like this term generational wealth. But what I'd love to see is it become more than just a catchphrase. And it's being used for a whole bunch of stuff. It's being used for get-rich-quick schemes. And, you know, so, uh, but I, I wanted to keep, I wanted to continue to go out there. I want people to keep hearing it. I want people to keep thinking, okay, that's a thing. That's something, generational wealth. But for me, what it means is not making a lot of money. I mean, think about this. We've known or read about people who've made gazillions of dollars and lost it all. I mean, just it's just the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and it's not just famous athletes, by the way. It's just a whole lot of people made a whole lot of money, and for one reason or another, they blew it. So it's human nature. So if we want to talk about generational wealth, you got to think about the ethos of it, uh, and that is to embrace the sweat equity, whether you're sweating or not, uh, to have patience, to block out the noise, and to keep a focus on the prize, which is the next generation. And in many respects, that's what I think I've done with Unbreakable Investor. That's one of my goals, to think about the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and how we go about investing, how we go about ignoring the naysayers, how we go about achieving our goals. And the book, I think, is probably perfectly timed and in the sense that in 2020, we had what I call the new investor revolution. And by the way, this has been coming on for a while. If, if, if I go back to the crash uh, around 2000, I would say, well, my business was on the rocks. My, my research business, we were dead uh, on, on, on really just one foot and a leg, <laughs> a torso uh, in, in the business graveyard. And I would say back then when the market crashed, about 87% of our clients bailed out. Then when you fast forward to the uh, great financial crisis, uh, 2007, 2008, early 2009, I would say about only 40% of our clients bailed out. And then you fast forward to the COVID crisis when the market was crashing and none of our clients bailed out. In fact, our clients are asking, what do we buy? So I feel like over 20 years, I did an amazing job training our long-term subscribers to, to, to my service, uh, that these are opportunities. But it wasn't just these folks who had been in the market and seen it firsthand, but there were other people out there who finally had their chance to leap, and they did. And then we had what I call, again, the new investor revolution, which was absolutely fantastic. The only problem with these, and we saw it a lot in the late 90s, late 1990s, is it felt easy to make money. In fact, a lot of people were bragging on social media that stocks only went up. 
And when it feels like that, there's no need to learn. At least you think there is, right? I mean, why would I need to even crack a book? This thing is easy. Every time I put a chip on black, it comes out black. Every time I put a chip on red, it comes out red. This thing is phenomenal. Who says the house always wins? So it felt good for a little while there, and regular things kicked in, right? The market may be overvalued, got ahead of itself. The typical things that happen in the stock market. And so we've seen this new investor revolution start to dwindle. Now, the last time I looked, about a month ago, Ally did a uh, did a survey, and apparently 49% of millennials have bailed out of the stock market. It's heartbreaking. It really, truly is heartbreaking. These are the folks who should be in the stock market more than anyone else. So uh, another big piece of the book, after we get past the, the legacy and inspiration, is and, and really the, the, the crux of being an unbreakable investor is dealing with the inevitable challenges that come with investing in the stock market. And the best way to deal with them is to know or have knowledge, two things, have a knowledge of the past and how things work because the stock market is extremely cyclical. Uh, Things that happened 20 years ago and 20 years before that and then 200 years before that seem to happen over and over and over again. It's almost uncanny except that it's not because there's one central tenet for this happening. It's all driven by human beings. And one thing about human beings is we never change. We never, never change. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, we, we, we have more cameras out there. We have more TV stations out there. Uh, we make more movies. So a lot of times people will believe it's their generation that's unique. No, there's so many scandals these days. Uh, the scandals are always here. The greed was always here. The dismay was always here. Human beings never change. And because human beings never change, the emotions of the stock market never change. The mistakes that are made. And it's not, by the way, I'm not just talking about individual investors. I'm talking about large corporations that get so big that they stop growing internally. They stop coming up with new ideas. They start figuring out, you know, listen, we're on, we're going to cruise. We're on cruise control. At one point, there was a company called Sears. It was the largest retailer in America. You can't find one now. At one point, there was a grocery store called A&P, and, the, and it goes on and on, every single industry. It's always going to happen. It's human nature, whether you're in the boardroom or whether you're buying stocks as a new investor revolution and you're buying a company with no fundamentals, but the stock goes up and up and up. You feel phenomenal. You feel brilliant. So why break open a book? Why learn about history? And sadly, those are a lot of times the people who are not only bail out and often at a loss but vow never to come back. I've said it a a gazillion times. I'll say it again. The stock market is the greatest money-making machine in history. It is absolutely amazing, but but it's a machine that comes with instructions and warnings. (laughs) And if you use it the wrong way, you can hurt yourself, like a lawnmower. It's phenomenal, but you don't want to put your hands in a blade, right? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So a lot of these lessons that were learned in the last few years, a lot of them were were avoidable, rather. A lot of them. But you had to check yourself. You had to check your greed. You had to check. uh, You had to do your homework. You had to crunch a few numbers. You had to do more. Uh, And and it's not like uh, you had to, to, you know, spend every single waking moment doing these things. Uh, I see people who spend a lot more time getting ready for the NFL games on Sunday. And, uh, you know, especially young people. I have my nephews with me and and their friends and, uh, you know, they're betting on the next touchdown, this kind of stuff. And they've done their homework and they know that uh, so-and-so does better when the field is wet. So-and-so does better on artificial turf. All those kind of things that you say, golly, if you put a little bit of that into the stock market, it won't be a guessing game, right? You could really start the path to generational wealth. So in the book, there's also uh, a great piece in there that I put a lot of research in on Warren Buffett. Everyone knows Warren Buffett, and he's got that folksy sort of uh, you know, Midwestern uh, image, uh, this nice guy. And he's a, he's, he is a nice guy, but when it comes to business, he's a vulture. <laughs> and there's no other way to put it. And the reason I, I, did, a, a, what, I did a whole chapter on Warren Buffett it's because people know the name and they know he's fabulously wealthy. And by the way, he, he got fabulously wealthy off of, of investments in relatively simple things, insurance and ice cream parlors, right? Later on, Coca-Cola. Then after that, Apple. But these weren't, you know, uh, the sort of things I see investors invest in that may or may not make it. You know, these companies that are going to revolutionize this and that and all they need is a break here and there, those kind of things. Just tried and true businesses. That's all he's done. But he bought a lot of these names when they were out of favor. So A, he had to do his work. And then B, he had to hold them through ups and downs. So if you want to emulate who I'm calling the original diamond hands, Warren Buffett, there's a way to do that. So you've got an example there of someone who's been there, done that, and someone that it would be smart to try to emulate. Although, uh, I, I get it. Listen, you don't want to be in a stock 20 years that doesn't move. That has happened to a lot of people who have been told by Wall Street, hey, buy these blue chip names and you're set for life, sort of like the old Ron Papelli set in and forget it. And then, of course, that doesn't work either. So it takes more than just buying the biggest names out there. It takes a little bit of work. I also have a piece in the book that I really am very fond of on the Federal Reserve. Because the Federal Reserve which was created in uh, 1913 with the promise, with the promise of ending the boom and bust cycles has done nothing but exacerbate boom and bust cycles. It is, it is, (laughs) it's mind boggling how bad they have failed in their job. It's mind boggling. So here's the backdrop. In the 1800s, we have four um, panics. They used to call them panics where the economy fell completely apart, completely, just just ugly, oh, just devastating. And so they got around to this idea if we had a central bank that can control the supply of money, uh, they can manipulate the economy so that we never went through one of these things again. And there was one more panic in the early 1900s, and that kind of sealed the deal. The Federal Reserve was born, and, and not too long thereafter, we had this little thing called the Great Depression. So they immediately failed in what was the promise of the Federal Reserve. But unfortunately, since then, this uh, this all-powerful, unaccountable entity 
has only gotten more powerful. And for some reason, they keep getting more and more jobs. They have so much control over our lives. And I fear that like so many other institutions out there, they won't be immune to politics. It's astonishing to me that we're giving them more power. It's astonishing to me that we have to live and die by the Federal Reserve, which has failed in their job so poorly that now the pendulum swings back and forth like, I mean, at the, the speed in which we go from boom and bust now is amazing. It's great, you know, it's great one day, and then, a, then another, the next day, we're in a recession. So the Fed is a, an integral part. We need to understand it much better. All investors should understand it and, and know that it's, it has a deleterious impact uh, on, on what's happening. Now, again, the key, though, is, and this is something I want you to remember very, very closely. We're not, quote, unquote, playing the stock market. In fact, we're not even playing stocks. We are investing in companies. You are investing in businesses. The stock market, think of the stock market as a mall, a shopping mall. And you have to, you, you find the best shop in that mall or you own the best shop in that mall. And then there's a fire at the other end of the mall. All right, your business is going to go down a little bit, but you're not going to give it up. You're not going to walk away from it. And again, the only way you're going to know this is to understand fundamentals. And you don't have to be um, you know, certified financial uh, accountant or any of that kind of stuff. Um, the hardest part always gets back to me reminding you of your legacy and inspiration. That is the hardest part, having folks stay the course. And it does help when people know history. It does help when people know what they own. And it does help when we know the pitfalls. Because the flip side of a lot of this is overconfidence. And you see that all, all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I joke a lot that one of the worst things that ever happened for individual investors was the creation of financial television. Uh, and here's the rub. They get paid. <laughs> the, worst, the worst performing money manager out there gets paid and lives in a bigger house than you and has a bigger yacht than you. And his family goes on more private trips than yours does. I listen, I, I, I try my best with my show to walk folks through it, to make it educational every single day. I, I bring on people. I, obviously, you allow folks to have their opinions. You want them all heard. Uh, but I push back on the Masters of the Universe. But more importantly, I'm trying to empower the audience. And that's the key to this book. I want to make sure I'm empowering you. So that's those are some of the key things, some of the key areas that, that I'm really excited about. I also have a, a fun chapter in there on the Roaring 2020s. And, you know, of course, I do a comparison to the 1920s, the Roaring 1920s. It's so much fun. It is amazing. You know, earlier I was saying how history repeats itself. And what's interesting about this, I'm like a kind of a geek for this stuff, but I'm also a natural-born Luddite. I always worry about the new inventions out there and, you know, how many people are going to lose their jobs and all of that stuff. There's no doubt in my mind I would have been out there with King Ludd breaking up uh, weaving machines. Um, but I also know as an investor, as someone who has studied this, that it is going to be absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, the kind of money that's going to be made over the next 10 years. But here's the cautionary tale, and I'll put this asterisk uh, next to that sentence. There's going to be so much money lost. Oh, my goodness. People are going to lose their shirt. 
There are going to be so many Me Too companies. Yeah, we do that as well. So everyone's going to have their hands raised. We're AI. Well, everyone won't be really AI, but there will be companies that will be AI players. Right now, the so-called chips and uh, the uh, the um, the shovels are making, the picks and shovels are making it. Uh, and that's a reference to the old uh, gold rush in San Francisco uh, where everyone went out there to look for gold, and the only people who made money were the ones who sold picks and shovels. So right now, the picks and shovel part of AI is killing it. And at some point, there'll be other parts of it that kill it, as well as companies that imp implement it in such a way that it boosts the profit margins. So unbreakable investor. I want you to be an unbreakable investor. Doesn't mean you don't, you don't ever take losses. In fact, you're going to take a lot of hits in your lifetime. A lot of hits if you want to become a successful investor. There's a lot of psychology to that. Uh, you know, it's, it's proven that if we double our money, we could lose half of our money on something and, and, or double it on something else in the same week. We will still be so hurt over what we lost half on. We won't even remember what we doubled it on. I mean, it just the pain of losing is really real. It's a real psychological thing. And it leads to a lot of mistakes, taking losses, holding losers. It's just, it's a big, big thing. So to be an unbreakable investor, you're going to have to take losses. To be an unbreakable investor, you're going to have to understand certain trends. Uh, to be an unbreakable investor, you're going to be more observant. I've got a great case study on there on how to observe your world. Every single day you interact with things and you don't even give it a second thought that you love. You turn on a switch and say, man, I love this thing. It is so phenomenal. You never bother even see if it's publicly traded. And if it is, what do the numbers look like? All of this is covered in the book. Ultimately, I want everyone listening to have unstoppable prosperity. And the only way to do that is to become an unbreakable investor. Thank you very much. My name is Charles Payne, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this series and don't forget to rate and review. And keep listening so I can help put you on the path to unstoppable prosperity now. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.